Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of The Call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, welcome back to Ausbiz. Time for the call for the next 60 minutes or so. We look at the stocks that you want recommendations on. Uh, 10 stocks we put to our expert panel for their view on them. We do it all in 60 minutes. So it's a action-packed um, hour between now and 1pm. And great to welcome to the panel, Mark Morland from Team Invest. Mark, how are you, sir? Excellent. Thank you, Christian. Um, how would you describe earnings season um, so far? More positive than everyone was expecting. Great. So there's a lot of, uh, I think 70 odd percent of them have already beaten, of what's reported so far, have beaten the uh, analyst expectations. Mm. Although interestingly, so in other words, there's been a lot more positive results out of Corona than anyone, anyone would have imagined. Right. Yeah. Uh, the challenge, of course, is going forward. And a lot of the companies are now not giving any guidance going forward. Still not. No, because, well, because they've had such a big lift in earnings now. Yeah, what, do yeah. you say, what do you say? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, who, yeah. and how do you know what's going to happen? We can maintain it. <laughs> Scott Phillips from uh, Motley Fool is with us. Scott, good to have you aboard. Your description of the earnings season? Yeah, I can't disagree with Mark. It's been a really, really good earnings season, quite frankly. Better than most people had expected. Some spectacular numbers from retail, of course. Mm. The banks, about what you'd expect. The dividends have come roaring back, so plenty of self-funded retirees are pretty happy. Um, yeah, hard, hard to really see a lot of bad. A couple of individual bits of bad news that have kind of come through, but broadly speaking, gee, I mean, yeah, again, I've said so many times, but eight months ago, if you told us this would be today, you, you know, you'd take a reality check, but really, really good set of numbers. The economy is bouncing back. Companies are bouncing back. Um, as Mark said, uh, that guide, I'm actually a real fan of not giving guidance, can I tell you? Yeah. Companies that really have no business trying to predict where they're going to be in three weeks, let alone three or six months. <laughs> um, and then they work to those targets because they've, they've put them up, right? It's one of those things where they say, well, we'll get 10% earnings growth. So they spend the next six months desperately trying any possible way to get there rather than letting the businesses do what it, what it does naturally. And it just it creates so many bad incentives, so much bad behavior. I know from experience, having worked from, for, for private and listed companies, it just distorts everything everyone does. So if, if no one gave guidance ever again, I'd be the happiest bloke, I've got to say. No, there you go. Oh, good. And, and it's actually worse in the US because they have to do it every three months. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. And I, I imagine that's going to happen here. Eventually. Oh, yes, I think it will. Probably. We, we, are, we seem to be following. Right. The US and everything, yeah, yeah. everything they do that's stupid, we copy it. Well, continuous disclosure should cover that, shouldn't it? But yeah. whether it does or not. Today I thought we'd take a look at Ansel. After a half year net profit surge, 60% thanks to COVID driven demand. A dividend also boosted over 50% a year uh, on a year ago to 33 cents. The outlook for the company also rosy. 
Uh, companies saying once a pandemic is under control, demand for products is likely to persist on its succession plan. An update will be provided to the market at the release of the uh, full year results in August as the current chief executive sets to retreat from the helm. Uh, Scott Phillips, what do you think of uh, Ansel's result and the stock? Gosh, yeah, oh, look, the result was fantastic. Hard to complain about those sort of numbers. And, uh, you know, we're getting used to looking at some of these great results going, wow, what's going on? Of course, Ansel in the personal protective equipment industry, if you couldn't make a dollar doing that in the last eight, nine months, you, you really, you know, you should be, should be having a good hard look at yourself. Uh, the challenge for Ansel has always been, I think remains, that its competitors in... I'll say, I won't say infringe on its copyrights. Let's get myself out of jail. I haven't mentioned one in particular. Uh, its competitors copy very quickly. Innovation Ansel comes up with it really is on a perpetual treadmill. It's got to run just to stay still uh, because competitors chase it down so quickly, so quick as innovation, particularly out of Asia and China specifically. Uh, really, really hard to stay on top. Great set of results. Look, frankly, I've been wrong thus far, and that graph shows exactly why. Um, but I've been staying well away from Ansel. I just, you know, you are... As it, you're running to stand still, and the second you slip up, everything goes to to custard very, very quickly. So, great result, well done. Um, frankly, looking forward, you should expect lower profits. I assume in the future, unless this new PPE craze continues, and it may well, um, particularly if COVID hangs around, or just simply standards change. So, you know, there's there's reason to believe maybe it has some sort of you know ability to stay at these levels. But as I said, just really, really tough to stay in front, I think, in this sort of industry. Uh, I think you're a, you're a brave person to, to hold this one for the long term, just because, as I said, if anything goes well, you do okay. If anything goes badly at all, you probably do terribly. I don't think the, the bet is in your favour. Um, Tim, in this uh, perspective, is that Ansel has had a very, very mediocre earnings growth over the last six years. It's average 3% a year, which is really only inflation and a bit. So mm. it's it's been a very mediocre performer. Right. So this this really good profit result, which has been stimulated by obviously from COVID, which yep. they're saying that, is a bit of a one-off, I think. Right. Uh, there's no way I would buy it now because of that. That's for sure. Right. Okay. Um, whether they, I, I think it's probably nearly impossible for them to maintain their earnings at that kind of rate going right. forward. There's going to be some come off as we come out of this, yep. logically. Pays a good dividend, doesn't it? Um, sort of, yep, they're paying um, out... Uh, a defensive stock? Uh, power ratio is 41% they're paying right. out. So, right. um, But yeah, that 2.1% that a year is our default, not margin of safety. Margin right. of safety is negative. Oh, okay. So we wouldn't touch right. it. Now, where it is at the moment, it's in the top quartile of its PE range as well. Right. So it's, on, it's currently on a PE of um, uh, 22, which for them is quite high. It right. would need to be under 16 to be in what we'd call the, uh, the green. Um, so, you know, you, it, it's, it's a solid company, but just a very mediocre performer. I wouldn't touch it. Okay. All right. All right. Let's get into the 10 stocks that you want us to take a look at. And um, Mark Shaw wants a view on... Altium. Now, this is um, basically a software business, isn't it? They're trying to convert into a software as a service organisation. Uh, uh, yes, yes and no. This is a company we know very well um, right. and we know the management well. Um, a lot of Team Invest members are invested in it. Uh, what they do is they provide uh, like a CAD system for designing circuit boards. Right. And they're a gl arguably global market leader uh, yeah. as a specialist, quite a small niche. Yeah. But they supply Boeing and all sorts. Right. They also export quite a lot to China, but they have major copyright problems in China. Right. Yeah, so uh, yeah, as far as piracy and so on. Um, they've been around for a long time, like 30 plus years. Yeah. So back in their early days, they would have been a real trailblazer. It's quite a mature business. And then they have a new product now called uh, their 365 product, which is um, 
uh, a cloud-based system. It, the, yeah. the, the data files are so heavy, no, there's no intention of having the main design system on the cloud. So right. it's still on-premise, yeah. but what they're doing is they're doing collaboration systems to be able to bring other people in. And okay. what they're trying to do is vertically integrate the business. So instead of just giving you the software to design the circuit board, what you do is you can then, from that, come up with a bill of materials. You know, so in other words, how many diodes, how many this, how many that. And if you go all the way, that's then linked to suppliers, right. you can then okay. quote, and ultimately potentially put orders in. So that's what they're trying to do. Now, we spoke to management about three years ago and they were telling us about this, and they were very enthusiastic and very excited. And then we saw them recently and they were uh, less excited and uh, made comments about it's been much more difficult than they thought. Sort right. of thing. So look, I'm not surprised. It was because latest profit result down. That's right. That's cut, right. Cut dividend as well. Yep. Yep. And the problem with that is it brings means that the P at the moment because the price has still stayed up is on 130 times. Oh earnings. wow. And the growth rate is actually not that spectacular. It's not like it's on a massive growth rate. It's actually averaged uh, minus seven now over the last six years with the latest profit down grade, right. uh, which is not good. Sales have been growing at about 21% a year, which is good. Yep. Um, look, is, is it a buy? No way at that kind of PE. Right. Uh, okay. If you already own it, you know, it depends on, assuming they pull this off and they are well positioned yeah. uh, internationally, it's an international business. Uh, the other thing that's happened, of course, is the Australian dollar's been going down and that, that's affecting any company that has a largely US predominant earnings streams. Right. So that's hurt CSL. It's probably why CSL has come off as well. Yeah. Yep. Um, whereas over the last decade, it's actually been a positive because yep. yep. they've actually been getting a free carry basically as the Australian dollar goes down, their yep. profits increase here. Yep. Okay. Um, so good business, but too expensive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, too expensive at the moment. Uh, Scott, what do you think about here? Yeah, Koshy, I tend to echo Mark's thoughts. I'm a little bit more positive than Mark on the on the final view, though, and I think it really depends on how long you expect them to be able to continue to grow those sales. <laughs> and as Mark rightly says, turn those sales into profits. And that's the big question, I think. You know, how long are you prepared to wait? And frankly, when do you call the, the expectations over? I'm prepared to give Arthur a bit more time because of that strong revenue growth. It seems to me, and for what they've said, at least up to the most recent announcement, they've been doing a pretty good job of growing the category and taking share. And if you can do that consistently, I mean, I guess it's, you know, there's, there's no, no shortage of circumstances where people have grown sales, but profitlessly. Uh, so maybe maybe that's the story for Altium. But I, I tend to believe they've got a, a brighter future than than the past results have suggested, particularly if they can continue to, to dominate this particular space and then grow it as well. Um, I, I Look, I think I wouldn't be a seller. I probably wouldn't necessarily rush out to buy it at the current price. To Mark's point, if you own it, I'd probably be happy to hang on. Uh, let it let it do its thing and, and see if that can continue. But I'm prepared, given its past success, to, to give it a bit more rope and let it go for a little bit longer. This most recent announcement, as Mark mentioned, though, is not a good sign. It's a, a yellow flag. Um, the, the, the famed second half club we talk about every year, the company say, look, first half wasn't great, but just wait, just wait. I think in these COVID times, you're kind of entitled to actually give them some rope on that one. There's a couple of companies in this kind of basket where Nanosonic's one that comes to mind, where frankly trying to make outbound sales decisions or, or calls in this sort of environment where companies are saying, well, if we're already growing, we'll keep growing. If we're not, we're kind of bunkering down. It's very hard to kind of open new sales channels for a lot of companies. So I'm going to give Altium a little bit of rope, uh, certainly give another six months unless something bad happens in the meantime. But it certainly yeah. is one worth keeping it, just a little bit of an eye on just in case. Yeah. Um, Scott, they do say that um, the year-on-year -year revenue, the subscription business, because all these um, software businesses, tech businesses, want to turn into SaaS, don't they? Software as a service, Correct. recurring revenue um, rather than just... Uh, customers pay for it up front. They said that side, that transition, 
um, saw that subscription basis rise 12% and they want to achieve 80% recurring revenue by 2025. So are they in that sort of no man's land from switching from one model to another? I think they are. And that can be an opportunity, by the way. There's plenty of companies that have gone through that and come out the other side in a really, really nice shape. So being aware of that's particularly useful. As Mark said, though, 12%, unfortunately, is not enough for a PE of, you know, somewhere in the between 70 or 120, depending on what sort of numbers you want to use to make the numbers work. Um, if you're going at 40%, you might start paying those sort of numbers. And if the market's big enough, Altium really needs to show that it can continue to grow at faster rates, turn those sales into profits at faster rates. And again, the category has to be large enough for them to continue to do it. Now, they're in a really nice space, right? Printed circuit boards, there's no shortage of things being computerized uh, and it'll continue. So I think the category will keep growing, but can it grow enough and they take enough share to justify yeah, the current sure. price? That's the open question. 12% doesn't get them there. Okay. Unfortunately. All right. Let's um, uh, stick with the, the tech sector as well. Anne wants a view on integrated research. Again, another global IT business in that uh, management solutions, payment transactions um, sort of area. Um, and again, its share price has taken a bit of a hammering too, Scott. What do you think of integrated research? It's a fascinating chart to look at, isn't it? If yeah. you look at it over a year, if you start, start a year, okay, came you say, well, it's been a nothing year. Uh, in between that, it's doubled and halved again, which is just an amazing graph. And particularly in the circumstances we've been through, it's almost the exact reverse of the rest of the market, quite honestly. It's a, it's a business that we, we've recommended it in the past. Um, we liked it under previous management and, and previous uh, chairmanship and majority ownership. Uh, unfortunately, the founder is selling down and effectively moving away from the company. And that was the reason we sold it. Now, it doubled after we sold it. We look silly for a while. We look a little bit less silly now. But the question still remains what the long-term growth story is. It's a little bit like the Altium story. For the full year, I think growth was something like 9 to 11% was the range they guided for. I think they finished somewhere in the midpoint of that. Um, again, at 10, 10% growth is not, not terrible. It's, it's, a, it's a good number, um, but you don't want to be paying too much for it. And I think investors got a little bit too excited in the first half of last year and have kind of had to recalibrate their expectations. This is a very good, very decent business. They do a good job of providing call center management. They do a little bit of um, computer uptime monitoring. They're trying to monitor, th monitor things like uh, website health and that sort of stuff. It's, it's, a, it's a really nice little you know, niche uh, workman business in the background somewhere, just ticking away, making sure things stay good, recording call center calls, make sure websites work, make sure payments go through. It's a really necessary piece of kit. The question, of course, is whether you can be big enough. The issue for integrated research has always been they're not normally the primary point of contact with a customer. They rely on being part of someone else's sales call. If you're selling a system, you'll sell the system and say, by the way, would you like this integrated research component? prognosis they call the software would you like that as part of your deal so you're relying on someone else selling your product for you it's not a terrible way to, to do business it keeps your cost down but it means you're not really in charge of your own outcomes and that makes it really difficult so i like the business um i like the management i think they're doing a, a good job uh i'm just not entirely sure i want to be buying it yet it's certainly cheaper than it's been so frankly it's coming more uh, closer into the into the buy zone uh, 27 times earnings currently which is you know not unreasonable but again do you want to pay that for a business growing at 10 or 12 percent a year Probably not. Um, if they get the top end of that range for a long time, it starts to maybe make some sense, but probably still a little bit too pricey for me. Okay. Uh, this is a, a, has been a team of best wealth winner right. you know, for a long time. So I'm a shareholder, so I'll right. that. So that makes me naturally biased. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 earnings per share has been going up. Oh, yeah, yeah. They've, aver <laughs> they've averaged 11% a year uh, with very high stability. So it's been yeah. very reliable. 
right. from an earnings point of view and sales. Sales have been growing about 8%. Well, they actually have a, an incredible blue chip client list. They do all the major banks in right. the US. So got, I think they've got MasterCard, Amex. So they're right. providing uh, basically validation that their systems are working and that the payments are going through. So it's, so it's not a high value service. It, it no. actually amazed me when we looked at their earnings on how much their average client pays. And it's actually not a lot of money, particularly oh. when you look at the client. So they're, they're in a, a, a nice position in that there's not enough money involved for the, uh, like Amex, to worry about getting competitive quotes or using right. someone else as long as their system works. Yep. So what they have is a very strong moat, very, and their, right. their uh, retention of businesses in the high 90s percent, so it's very, very good. Um, they said in their uh, recent releases, which was the earnings downgrade, which is one of the, why the share prices probably dropped, uh, is that uh, the US dollar we talked about, same effect, yep. and also the fact that they haven't been able to get in front of people from a sales point of view, and whether that's through the third parties that they're selling, which as Scott said, that's ex exactly right. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, it's very difficult with COVID. So new sales have really fallen off off the cliff. Now that's a that's a short term issue. Right. So what's happened is the share price has come down significantly, and the PE is down in the very low end of the bottom quartile of its range. So we're showing it at seventeen point eight PE for IRI. That is really cheap. Right. So assuming you 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 believe in the company on the, on the long uh, term, which we do. Yeah. Um, it's a buy at the moment because it's down towards March lows. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Now that's right. isn't it? That's right. And that's right. Uh, everyone keeps going. Oh, I should have bought. Yeah at the March lows yeah. with all these stocks that yeah. have gone through the roof. Yeah. Here's so, one that is still, that has come back down. And, and it's a quality business with very strong moats. Uh, okay. They did have, they, the, the um, founder CEO, as Scott rightly said, is retired and is in, off on doing philanthropic activities, right. which is fine. Yeah. And he's selling down progressively. Right. They have had a couple of changes of CEO, so there's, there's been a bit of instability in the uh, It's been head. a horrible six months for it, hasn't it? It has it's been. Basically it has been. halved yeah. in price. But this is when you want to buy things. You want to buy, right. when you get quality businesses that are out of favour through combination of events or uh, issues that aren't long term. So you're That's, saying this is one of them? Yeah. Yeah, right. it's a, I'd say it's a, it's a buy. I do have a call with uh, John Ruthen, the um, CEO, on Monday, you know, right. and we're, we're doing a Q&A with members. So that's actually, it's, it's a very topical point because we'll be asking lots of questions about what's going on in the business. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. To say, is it a buy right now from right. our point of view? But a good business. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, all right. Uh, there you go, Anne. So a really good analysis there of integrative research. And, uh, but you... <laughs> You've got to have have the confidence to actually buy at these levels, don't you? That's the thing. It's a, isn't it? Market becomes yeah. an emotional yeah. type thing. Well, you look at their P range; it's at the bottom of its range. Yeah. So yeah, that yeah. that statistically, right, I mean, it's going to come back, taking all the emotion out yeah. of it. Right. Okay. Um, Mark Holly wants a, a view on Vita Group. Now they're in. Uh, they run a whole bunch of uh, independent stores selling. Um, um, selling mobile phones and telco services, uh, which was going along beautifully until to, until Telstra decided to pull the pin on the arrangement that had been going, what, 26 years yeah. um, to end the arrangement that Vita Group would, would run their Telstra shops. Telstra have said, well, we want to do it ourselves. Uh, well, look, I'll tell you what, there's really no surprise with Telstra. Right. I mean, this is a cycle thing. Right. They go through these cycles of, trying to do things themselves, cost too much, outsource it, then, oh, oh, we'll do it ourselves and we'll make more money. And yeah. it's just, it's not, I'm not surprised. We looked at uh, Vita Group, uh, and the, by the way, the biggest part of their business is the 120 odd Telstra shops, which are like a right. franchise arrangement yep. with Telstra, Telstra. So Vita Group are the biggest manager of uh, Telstra shops. Yes. So yes, Telstra is bringing it in house, but 
the contract goes through till uh, June to, uh, 25, I think it is. Uh, I think it's June 25. June 2025. Yeah, June 25. So when the market's reacted Not to this, June the 25th this year. No, 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 June 9, 2025. Oh, so okay. we've got another four and a half years where the contract stays in place. Right. And that, now what will happen is likely for Telstra to announce that the way they have, they're not going to wait five, four and a half years. That What right. they'll do is they'll negotiate with Vita Group to buy out the contract. Right. Now going on, so if you think about it, so what Vita Group's going to say, okay, our profit on that would be blah over right. the next four and a half years. That's what we want. Right. They, they don't have any, uh, yeah. there's no, they don't have to give it up. They've got right. a contract till 25. For another four years. Yes, four right. and a half years. Right. So, so there isn't any short term impact on their earnings. And what may happen is Telstra may pay them a big payout, which will give them a massive boost right. on earnings. And they're on a very, very low P at the moment anyway. Yeah. Um, now what, now Telstra shafted them before. Right. A couple of years ago, they came back because Vita Group was making really good money yeah. and doing really well. Uh, so Telstra came back and renegotiated how much they paid them down significantly yeah. and sort of halved their profit and it took a big hit. Team Invest, when we looked at this company, we considered the biggest risk was Telstra because yeah. um, you know, because it was such a significant part of the business. After that happened, there was, the share price collapsed. Uh, a lot of our members bought it, which was a good move. It's done very right. well yeah. since then. Um, they went into uh, non-invasive aesthetics. You know, like Botox things and so on. So clinics, mainly for women, but there's probably plenty of men who right. go as well. Um, and they've bought several groups now, and they're building that up. Now they've they've oh, pushed that. So Maxine Horn. Uh, oh no. yeah, no, absolutely, and they had to. Right. And so what Maxine Horn's done? She's the founder CEO. She's basically said we're really good at sales and management and marketing, uh, and so on. So we're going into this area because we think that's very prospective. Right. Uh, and we're going to build that as fast as we can. So what she's saying now is they're just going to accelerate that. Now, that business is already quite big, but it's not the main, right. the main earnings. So there will okay. be a uh, transition period. I don't think it's all doom and gloom. Um, the share price has come off a fair bit, but it's, it's come back a little bit, I think, hasn't it? Uh, okay. I think it went down to 70 or something. Um, uh, 86. 86 now. 86, 86 now. at the moment. Um, Holly, Holly bought in November a dollar and five. Yeah. Um, yeah. Should Holly stick with it or well, sell? Well, or? it's not a black and white question. Right. I've, I've got a meeting with our members in Sydney on Friday, and this is going to come up because quite right. a lot of our members own it. Right. So, you know, do you stay or do you go? Yeah. Um, I tend to think they, they'll be fine. Right. Uh, and at the moment, if you look at it from a PE point of view, it's actually on six, six times right. current earnings. But the earnings aren't under threat, as I said, for four and a half years. Right. So you could argue it's actually a speculative buy from... Uh, Maxine Horn's a very good manager. She's got a lot of skin in the game. Right. She started the business. Okay. And they've got other uh, bits of other things as well, but that's the main game. Okay. I'd, I'd, I'd stay there if I was you. Okay, so you, you'd hold? Yeah. Uh, if I want to be brave, if I'm brave, I'd say I'd be a buyer. Let's see what Scott right. says. Okay, so <laughs> so you're saying hold if you're in it yeah. and spec buy. Yeah, if, yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah. Scott? It's a tough one, isn't it? Mark's done a, done a great job of outlining the, the situation and the, the risks and opportunities for the business. And it really does come down to, I think, how well you rate the management team there. I don't necessarily disagree with Mark's view of Maxine Horn. I quite like her as a manager. That being said, it's always hard to separate the manager from the managed, right? In other words, the product. If you're a Telstra reseller, yes, mm. you can do specific things to do it well, but at the end of the day, you're selling a Telstra you know, service slash a handset slash whatever. How much of that is you? How much of that is Telstra as a brand? That's a really, really difficult thing to try and know outright. And I think that's the big question for me. Because as Mark says, this is a P of, I think it was six odd times, just the numbers I looked at this morning. Um, I mean, that's that's silly cheap, right? But 
the earnings will fall and they have to replace them with something else. Can they make a go of these uh, beauty clinics? Possibly. Um, is it really transferable from Telstra retail to, to beauty? Maybe. Maybe this is genuinely a, a brilliant management team with some secret source. They can turn their hand to, to retailing anything and do well. Um, on the other hand, maybe in, in the fullness of time, it ends up being, oh, you know what, it was just because I was selling Telstra and uh, the driver's dog could have, could have done you know almost as good a job. Uh, again, not to discredit anyone at Vita Group, it's just in, incredibly difficult to know you know what, whether it's the, the seller or what's being sold that makes a difference. I, I tend to agree. It probably is a spec. It's so cheap right now, and there is a not a, not unreasonable chance that it is some of the secret sauce. And certainly, they were doing better than I think Telstra will do. I think it's a mistake from Telstra, quite honestly, to take this back. I own Telstra shares for full disclosure. Um, I wouldn't be taking it back if I was Telstra. I'd be letting Vita Group do it and skimming the profits. They don't need to do everything themselves. Vita Group doing boil reports, a great job. You know, no no signs that customers are unhappy or Telstra is losing out on this deal. Other than right. they want to try and creep a bit more margin, I think that'll be a mistake <clears> in the fullness of time. We don't get to make a, have a say on that though. Unfortunately, we can only decide whether to buy or not. I, I think whether you hold it comes down to what you were buying it for. If three months ago you were buying it because you wanted to own a la, you know the largest Telstra reseller in the country and own it for the next ten years, then the thesis has absolutely changed right now. If you owned it because of that. You probably don't. You probably shouldn't be holding onto it now because it's going to be a very different business going forward. If you're holding it because you believe in the management team or the expansion strategy or both, then you have every reason to hold it. And in fact, again, because the share price is cheaper than it was only a few months ago, every reason to potentially, um, you know, look at buying some more if that was if that was the way you were you were predisposed. But this is one of those situations. It's really important to make sure you know what your own personal thesis is and why you're buying or holding. If it still aligns with with why you bought it, by all means, knock yourself out. I would have bought Vita Group three months ago as a Telstra reseller with a bit of a free option for the other stuff. Now, all of a sudden, the other stuff becomes the main game, notwithstanding, as Mark said, they will get some money from Telstra one way or the other. They'll either work out their contract and make money there or they'll get paid to, to walk away. Either way, they'll get some money there. So there's, there's real value in the business, just purely on the discounted value of those five, five years old or four years of, of cash flows. So value there. Uh, just be mindful of what you're buying and make sure this is the business you want to own at the price you want to own it with the risks that are now inherent in the business. Okay. All right. There you go, Holly. I uh, appreciate the question on that. Hopefully, that gives you a bit of guidance. Um, Scott, John wants a view on SG Fleet Group. They're, they're, they do the salary packaging, don't they? Fleet management, uh, vehicle leasing, salary packaging group. What do you think of uh, SG Fleet? You know, there's plenty of uh, there's plenty of room in a, in a tax uh, loophole. Gosh, when there's three listed businesses all doing the same thing, providing salary yep. packaging, uh, legitimate, of course, and, and all fair enough. But Macmillan, Shakespeare, Smart Group, and of course SG Fleet, all effectively doing different versions of the same thing. It is salary packaging in one form or another. Look, there is an industry there. There are people there. There are companies there doing this. There are employers and employees who want it. So it's a legitimate business as long as, as we've said before, that tax rule remains in place. I think it probably will. For the foreseeable future, it's certainly lower risk. Frankly, having been through it once before, Kevin Rudd famously promised he'd yep. get rid of the, the, yep. the packaging loophole if he was elected. What they basically did is gave the punters and the politicians a chance to see what would happen. Seems like it was it was not favourably accepted. And I think it'd be a brave politician to do it any time in the next four or five years, possibly yep. longer. So ironically, having been tried before, I think a very good chance they won't try it again, at least for a little while. That's good. That's great news. If you're, if you're a holder or a potential holder, the question you got to ask yourself, of course, is what growth remains in this sector is a very, very well-serviced sector. There are plenty of people doing it. There's plenty of opportunity, plenty of competition as well. Um, I'm not entirely sure this is a growth sector over the long term, short of another tax change or two. If you're paying 18 times earnings for a business, 
Um, you want to hope it's got a lot left in it. Now, it's cheaper than it has been. It's also more expensive than it has been, and for really good reasons on both sides of the ledger. I don't know I want to pay 18 times earnings for SG Fleet. I don't know that it's attractive enough growth-wise just for those sort of multiples. I'd probably okay. give it a miss. I have said before, I prefer Smart Group in this area. Okay. Mark? Uh, yes, I, I concur. We agree on most things. <laughs> um, the the other problem with Smart Group is that it doesn't have the growth, sorry, uh, SG yeah. uh, Fleet Group, SG Fleet Group, uh, it doesn't have a very good growth rate. I mean, its, its EPS growth has been running at 0.3 of a percent, so it's less than inflation right. over the last six years. Sales have been going up, but they're not, they're not converting it. So yeah. revenue's up, profitability's down, and we're showing it returning on our default, which is the generous measure of 1.7% a year. Like, okay. Why would you bother? I wouldn't get right. out of bed for that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Scott mentioned um, uh, Smart Group. Uh, they, they've been growing their earnings at 50% a year, and they're on the oh. same PE. Okay. So, so even though, and they're, prob they're probably smaller. I'm not sure I haven't compared sizes. Right. Um, but if you want to invest in that area, and I uh, concur with what Scott said, it is questionable. You wonder how it can have much more growth. Sure. It's not obviously a growth area. It's, it's well, well supplied. Yeah. Uh, Smart Group seems to be the one that um, okay. is actually growing it's really fast. Well. And if you wanted to invest it, that's the one I'd go for. Okay. Um, and I think the other thing, don't underestimate the government risk, even though we can say it's unlikely that the government will change it. Just Rudd saying that he might, he, he, he said, oh, I might do that. It was, it was just about like a throwaway comment. Yeah. And Macmillan Shakespeare tanked. And I remember, right. I remember it well because I was a shareholder. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yeah, so it was, it was a... Uh, you and, do and, remember those things. And what it does, it makes you realise how, like, when a company's uh, reason to be yeah. is based on a government regulation, yeah, not even yeah. a law, you know, like it could be something that can be changed at a, yeah. a job of had. That's a major risk factor. Government risk is there. It's a, it's a really big yeah, risk factor. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, thank you for that. Harry wants a view, uh, Mark, on Tabcorp. Um, last quarter, the share price has done all right, but over three years hasn't been great. Um, yeah, the big wagering business, the betting business. Yeah, this is uh, lotteries and yes. Aquino and all sorts of stuff. I mean, they're yeah. the biggest player. I think yeah. in the in the, uh, in, the, in that space, um, we're showing it. Uh, the growth rate, if you look at the last six years, minus sixteen percent a year. Wow, they're pretty bad. I mean, it goes back. If you go back to, if I look at the graph, it's been it's been lumpy is the word, but it's gone yeah. from forty seven cents back in uh, two thousand and twelve to currently about um, uh, what are we looking at? Uh, for fifteen cents. Right. Yeah. You know, so it's 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 performed miserably uh, over the period, and they actually have significant moats with their contracts and the uh, they're sort of locked into these positions yeah. where you know arguably they don't have specific competitive not a lot of specific competition yep. maybe that's not right but uh, i would have thought they would have had strong moats but their, their performance has been miserable um and we're showing you returning um 15 negative per year if you buy it today oh, at the current okay. price so what's happened to the share price lately is irrelevant yep from yeah, my yeah. point of view if anything yeah. if it's gone up it's more of a reason to say oh you should sell sure okay all right, look at that over five years. It hasn't done much Well, it's been all. flat, really. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's right, flat. because the performance has been totally flat. Yeah. Uh, Scott, Tabcorp? It's an amazing thing, Koshi. This is, this is kind of the, uh, an insight into the investment banking world, right? Tabcorp was built by being put together. Uh, a lot of the state TABs put together, of course, and it merged yeah. with Tattersalls, the, the, the lotteries business. And now, of course, investors are pushing for a demerger of that very lotteries business <laughs> and the potential sale of, it, of that to a private equity firm. Uh, and, and this is kind of, you know, this is the roundabout we go on. We aggregate and disaggregate, aggregate and disaggregate. It makes a lot of investment bankers rich. I don't know what does a lot for individual shareholders, just quietly. The, the performance, as Mark's already highlighted, has been atrocious. Um, it just simply hasn't kept up with the boom in online gambling elsewhere. 
And the lotteries business, though, valuable isn't growing particularly quickly. So you've got a situation where you kind of got two lumbering businesses stuck together because they were supposed to be synergies that really haven't turned up. And I think the board's probably right to look at trying to, as I say, maximize value is that horrible term. The shares jumped 10% on the news and there is some report that there will actually be a demerger announced as late as early as this week um, with the company's uh, annual results. So we'll see whether it happens or not, of course, and whether that takeover or the potential takeover does come through. It's pushed the share price up and Mark's already said it's gone nowhere, but it's certainly a lot higher than it was. Um, 29 times earnings is a really rich price to pay for a business going nowhere. Neither, there is right. obviously that demerger breakup premium there. So, look, it's, it's really frequent, quite frankly. If you break up a, a lumbering conglomerate, it tends to be the case. The individual parts do better than the whole. Um, I mean, I guess you could hang around and see if you could get some value out of that. But if you'd already owned them, I'd be happily taking the money off the table. Um, yeah. If you didn't own them, I, I wouldn't be buying them at the current okay. price. Okay. All right. Let's recap the uh, five uh, f- uh, first five stocks and our stock of the day. Ansel, a no from both Mark and Scott. Uh, Altium, uh, a no from Mark. Um, Scott basically saying good business, mature business. I don't hold. Hold. Uh, hold. Not a, not a, yeah. Okay. Scott saying hold as well. Yeah. Uh, if you're an existing mm. uh, shareholder in mm. it, because it's a good business. Um, integrated research, a no from Scott. Um, Mark sees a really good business going forward. It's down on its luck at the moment, um, and he sees it as a speculative buy. You know, good business down to its well, mark not speaking of an opportunity long-term buy. a long-term buy yeah. okay uh, <laughs> vita group mark says speculative buy okay <laughs> uh, for holly and uh, and scott quite rightly saying look you got to decide what what you're in the business for if it's because you love management then probably hold and stick with them if you were getting into it because of telstra shops that they own uh, and Telstra wants to get out of them in 2025, well then you need to probably reassess why you're going to be in it. Uh, SG Fleet Group, a no from Scott, a no from Mark. Mark uh, is saying Smart Group in that sector has been a much better performer and a no from both on Tabcor. All right, uh, here at the call, we uh, track our own fantasy portfolio, if you like, from July 1st, thanks to our partner NAB Trade. Any stock that gets Two ticks from our expert panel goes into it. Um, let's see how it's been doing for the last week, down a third of a percent uh, for the month, up 2% since the 1st of July, 26.5%. Uh, some of the stocks recently added by our expert panels, ALE Property Group, Shryro, uh, which was an interesting one um, yesterday from uh, Mathan and Gorav. Um, hadn't really been following it for a for a long time until they had a look at it from a viewer suggestion and thought, wow, it doesn't look too bad at all. Uh, little gem there. Uh, City Chic has uh, been put in there and Northern Star as well. Some of the ones taken out, South 32, EnviroSuite, MFF Capital Investments. If you want to see all the stocks in the calls portfolio, go to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And we'll continue our reporting season coverage uh, on the Pulse later this afternoon, the Chief Executive of Domain Group, Jason Pellegrino, uh, joins the show to discuss the earnings and the state of the very hot property market. That's 3.30 Eastern right here on Ausbiz. And uh, very appropriately, our sixth stock to take a look at, Scott, REA Group, <laughs> Domain's biggest competitor, the, uh, uh, the listed um, property 
websites that uh, were spun out of News Corp. News Corp has still um, a big stake in them. Uh, helps real estate agents, developers and, and buyers and sellers. They advertise on these websites. Uh, what do you think of REA Group? Koshi, this is a remarkably expensive business at 70 times earnings, but I'm going to call it early and say I still think it's a buy. Uh, this is a business that has been able to capitalise very, very nicely on the Australian love affair with property uh, slash kind of cult following of property. It, it, it is and remains the barbecue stopper topic. And we know that, you know, despite up being up two and a half times since that March uh, low, as you can see on the chart there, this is a business that really has... Australian investors, exactly, uh, Australian, uh, I'm sorry, homeowners, exactly where it wants them. If you're going to sell a property, you don't dare not use realestate.com. Yes, you could go and do it yourself. You could use only domain. You can find another way to do it. But do you really want to, if you're looking for a seven-figure price tag on most properties in Australia these days, do you really want to miss the opportunity to you get to the biggest audience in town, every town, every city, every region? I assume not. Probably not. Certainly, I wouldn't. If I was selling, I'd be like, you know what? Whatever it costs, I want to make sure I get my maximum price. Yeah. Only in a massive long-term bear market am I worried about REA, I think. The, its ability to extract top dollar from the real estate agents and their sellers is second to none. I think it will continue to do that. And, of course, listings and pre premium listings in particular are their own version of auction, right? There's only so many premium listings per page. You've got to pay up to get those. The more people who want them, the higher the price REA can yeah. charge. The market will find its level at some point. I don't think it's there yet. It does also have... Uh, minority share, sorry, majority shareholdings in, in very small growing businesses around the world. I don't put a lot of value in those, but not much has to work for that side to add meaningfully over time to REA's long-term earnings. Yep. Uh, so I buy it from Scott and uh, Mark. Everyone thought we're going to a property crash in March. And, uh, and to Scott's point, the resilience of the property market's been extraordinary and it's been Interstate, Adelaide, Perth have all caught up. Yeah. Arguably, driven, arguably driven by our, low uh, interest our rates. super low, unprecedentedly low interest yeah, rates. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and the promise from the Reserve Bank to keep them unprecedentedly low until 2024, yeah, the is, though, which is extraordinary. The, most of them are variable rate mortgages. Yeah. And a variable means that can change. Yeah. So if oh, you yeah. buy it on 2% interest, how, yeah, how until are you going to go? What or 6%? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, the Reserve Bank saying don't need to worry till 2024, oh, yeah, which okay. is pretty extraordinary. Okay. Uh, what do you think of REA? Uh, uh, brilliant business. Uh, it's been yeah. a Team Invest Wealth winner for uh, since we started. Yeah. Um, some of our members bought it when it was seven dollars yep. about wow. ten years ago. Because we don't do list, wow. we don't do floats. Yeah, yeah. So what we want to see is minimum of four years of history. Yep. And by that stage, REA was demonstrating that it was becoming the yep. dominant player. Not only were they the dominant player as far as market share at that stage, they were also running a good business and making profits. Yep. And management was demonstrating they knew how to, uh, how to, do, to make, do a return to shareholders. Yep. The only negative that we ever had on REA, and we've looked at it lots of times over the yep. years, has been the News Corp connection because yep. News Corp owned. 61%. And uh, the, the, a lot of members were always worried that Murdoch and co may do something that wouldn't be in shareholders' interest. It's never happened. Yeah. But that was yeah. that was a concern. And, and for that reason, a lot of members never bought it, which is a pity because yeah. you know, it's, it's been a, you know, it would be a whatever bag of that is. That's well, it's about been, a thousand or something. It's, it's been, been holding yeah. News Corp up. Uh, a lot Australian of our members do, do hold it. And yeah. we've got a real estate agent members who hate them as far as having to pay yeah. them, but uh, love them from, as an investment. Yeah. So it's got a brilliant network mode. And yeah. for, mem for viewers, what a network mode is, is when a company gets to the stage where it becomes ubiquitous and that everybody goes there, think yeah. Google. Yeah. You know, like, how would you displace Google yeah, yeah. You know, for maps and search? Yeah. You know, it's nearly impossible. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much money well, Microsoft got. says, well, they're trying me, to. Yeah, they're but trying to, but it's like a minnow. Yeah, yeah. It's nothing. Right. It's like a flea yeah, by yeah. comparison. 
uh, realestate.com absolutely dominate the, um, the real estate market. Now, yeah. interestingly, Domain, backed by Fairfax, has spent a fortune on marketing over the years and they've hardly dented it. Right. You know, so okay. it just shows you. Once, yep. once somebody gets that network happening where, as uh, Scott said, if you want to sell your house, are you going to put yep. it out to less people? Yeah. You're going to put it to the main At people? At this price, 154 No, bucks. no, because 70 times earning comes, it then plays back into what your returns are going to be. Yeah. Uh, EPS growth has been running at 8.4% a year, very high stability. And even if you give them the benefit of the doubt and say, well, because of what's happening in the market at the moment and the activity, that might, they might come out with even a better year next year. So, yep. so from a Scots point of view, the share price could easily go higher over the next 12 months. But for right. us, looking at a five-year horizon for an right. investment, it'd have to come down a long way. So we'd, we'd want it down about $40 okay. uh, right. to buy it. And then, then I'd say it's a buy. Okay. Uh, Nick wants a view on um, REA's biggest shareholder uh, in terms of News Corporation. Um, share price has been doing okay of late, particularly after the, um, after the latest earnings result came out the last week or two. Um, uh, yeah, the, the results aren't bad. In fact, if you look at their revenue over the last 10 years, I actually had a look at it thinking, you know, you would think it would have been hit hard with the uh, incursion of the internet and taking away yep. advertising dollars yep. on a lot of their business. It's actually, it has gone down, but not dramatically. Yep. So of course the problem is when you have a business and your revenues go in decline, it's very difficult to make decent profits because you've got to actually cut costs faster than your revenue is going down. Yep. That's always challenging. Media has tended to be pretty good at it, as in they've been pretty harsh. You know, they put the knife through things pretty fast, yes. don't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, you I can <laughs> be, testament to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's got 7.5% EPS growth um, with not very good stability. It's all over. It, it's quite a lot of variation in it, which right. makes it very hard to predict earnings going forward. And I think, well, I may be wrong, but I'm, my my uh, recollection is that uh, realestate.com is their biggest earner yes. in the whole group. Yes. And then you look at the group, what's, what it's got in the group, that's saying something. Yep. Because all these mastheads in the US, well, you know, that's, yeah, yeah, so it's quite amazing. So for me, uh, we're showing, it's, it's actually showing about 16% um, on default if they can maintain this growth rate because the, uh, the PE ratio is not that high. Uh, but about 1.4 on safety, so I'll, I'll pass. It fails right. on return on equity, it's under 10, so is return on capital. And their stability is not good enough okay. for us. But right. it's not bad. Um, Scott, what do you think of News Corp? Five-year high, the share price? I think it really does come to that REA shareholding, ironically. This is almost REA part two, mm. uh, because you're really going to have a view on that first. If you, if, you, if you can't form a view or you have a negative view on REA, very, very hard to buy News Corp. Um, just because of how important it now is, as Mark's already highlighted to the rest of the business. And then you've got to have a view on the rest of the business. Is it, is it a net aggregate value creator or value destroyer? Um, again, as Mark said, it depends on what you believe happens to um, particularly print, uh, but also to some degree online uh, ad revenues and, and uh, I guess, viewership over the next five and 10 years. I am not massively averse to News Corp. I have to say, given the choice between the two, I happily take the pure play REA and run with it. So if you're looking mm -hmm. at News Corp, by the time you finish the research, you look at it and go, well, hang on, I've got a view on REA. I don't have a firm view on the others. If I like REA enough, I'll probably go straight to the you know the, the ground jewel, quite frankly, rather than the others. It is a remarkable time to, to think through how big the non-REA parts were once upon a time, how important, how valuable, um, how impressive these businesses were before effectively they were decimated. And of course, remember that um, it no longer has the 21st century Fox businesses, which were yep. spun out and then acquired by Disney. So it's not the, the old News Corp, but it's almost the old old News Corp pre, uh, pre Sky, pre, um, uh, pre Fox Studios. So look, I, I'll say no for now, um, partly because 
I really find it hard to work out what the print business and the newspaper business more broadly, including online, looks like in five or 10 years time. Uh, given the choice, if you like it enough, you probably like it because of REA. If you like because of REA, I simply go straight to REA itself rather than worrying about News Corp. Yep. Okay. All right. Getting big nods here from uh, from Mark as well. All right. Peter Scott wants a view on Newcrest Mining, Australia's biggest gold miner. Um, as you'd expect with gold price at the moment, turned in a pretty ritzy uh, latest profit result up 134%. Uh, COVID really didn't uh, make an impact in it. And uh, they've got approval for another mine in Canada. Yeah, this, is a, this is a remarkable set of results and it's all well, mostly down to the gold price as you would expect. Um, I'm a bit of a broken record on gold producers, Koshi, so anyone who's watched regularly will probably be able to word for word cover what I'm about to say, but I'll say it anyway because it's important. Um, really it comes down to the commodity price, not the miner. The best you can ask for for a miner is to run well, to explore well and successfully, to keep costs down, injuries down and keep the money flowing or keep the gold flowing more importantly. Other than that, when you can't control your price or you can control your cost, you do your best job possible of doing that. The problem, of course, is no matter how good a job you do on cost, it is the price that matters. And you have to have a view. You're forced to have a view on gold if you're going to buy a gold miner because if the gold price halves or doubles, it doesn't matter how good the rest of your research is, that is the one thing that will impact your investment case more than anything else. Yeah. Now, I've said before, I'll say again, over the long term, I don't think gold is sustainable at the current price levels. Um, it may well go higher before it goes lower. It may go lower before it goes higher. And I'm not the world's foremost gold expert. Let me put that on record. I just don't believe that it's it, you want to be investing in commodity companies when the commodity itself is meaningfully above the cost of production. You simply don't know where it goes next. And if you can't know, at least you get some sort of, to use Mark's phrase, margin of safety from buying close to the cost of production. Um, the more above cost of production you're buying, the more you're putting yourself at the mercy of prices. Now, they could very well go higher for all I know. Um, on a supply and demand basis, they shouldn't over time, but they may well, and they may well for an extended period of time. So I wouldn't be saying to anybody, go and short the miners. If you have a strong conviction on the gold price and a reason for that conviction, then by all means, hang on. But if I own the shares, I'd be selling them today. Okay. Mark? Mm, it's very interesting. Um, Newcrest, um, I used to be a shareholder many, many, many years ago, and uh, they bought Lahir in uh, New Guinea, oh, yes. which was yeah, generally yeah. a disaster. So yeah, right. they spent big, big money at the time. <laughs> I can't remember what the percentage was, but it was a really big acquisition. And it, it, it sort of burnt them for about a decade. You know, it was just, it went from one woe to the next. It goes right. back to that whole management, its ability yep. to be able to buy or to uh, develop or identify and develop the right assets and then run them properly. So Lahir was like a, a, man, was like a cancer yep. in them. Now, I don't know where that's at. It's still there. Yeah, I, said, yeah. I know I haven't yeah. followed it for years. Um, it's actually quite cheap on our metrics. Um, it's at the bottom of the group, uh, bottom quartile PE at the bottom. So PE is about 14 at the moment, which is actually quite low. I, I don't disagree with anything Scott said. It is a commodity price driven that will obviously dictate your returns. Um, but of the gold miners, uh, Newcrest is one of the cheaper ones. So Northern Stars, are, I'm a shareholder in that as well, and Saracen, right. Right. which are both very, very well-run businesses, but they're also on quite high PE, higher PEs. Yep. But they have a, I think, well, from what I know, the management of those, both those companies is very good. I don't know what Newcrest management's like these days. It's a much more complicated business. Yep. You know, and how many, of, how many jurisdictions they're operating in and so on as well. So um, it, it doesn't look bad at all. So, and, and as Scott mm. said, if you have a view that you would like to have some exposure to gold, um, then Newcrest at the moment uh, is showing we're showing returning about thirty percent a year if the gold mm. price stays up and they oh, maintain right. those okay. margins. Yep, and yep. that's the risk. Yep, yeah, yep. So would you be in it? I wouldn't know because I like no. I like Northern Star. Okay, all right, but that's too expensive. Um, now, <laughs> Glenn wants a view on uh, Cyclo Farm. It's an interesting 
I never really heard of it actually, but it, uh, it's sort of like a mid tech, isn't it? Um, a biotech business. They, its biggest product is called Technigas, um, which um, <clears throat> is a breathing apparatus that goes into your body so you can measure embolisms and things like that. It's just done a big placement, raised $30 million to expand into the US market. Okay, Mike. Um, yes, it's, it's, this is one of those companies I've never heard of until yesterday. Wow. Um, they have actually made some money for a few years. So I've got a 10-year history here. And of the 10 years, there's three years where they made a profit and all the other years they made a loss. Yeah. And the last four years have all been uh, 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 fairly large losses. Now, so you really, you'd have to understand this business or know the story. Yeah. It, I mean, it sounds very interesting. They do radio pharmaceuticals. Mm. Yeah, so it's obviously radioactive stuff, and, that, and I read it all. Yeah. And it all sounds interesting. And there's it's no way to detect lung cancer. Well, yeah, they actually put some sort of yeah, they have some way of putting stuff into you to actually yeah. identify. I have zero idea of what that means commercially. Right. So uh, I couldn't comment on it. It's share obvi- price has been on a run though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we don't do that. So yeah. it's obviously uh, thinly traded by look, looking at that chart as well. Yeah. Uh, it's 260 million um, uh, market cap though, so it's not small. So right. maybe Scott can fill us in. Yeah, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, unfortunately not a nuclear medicine expert, guys, but uh, thanks for throwing me under that particular bus, Mark, the <laughs> nuclear medicine bus. Uh, it's, uh, look, here's the thing. I think, you know, if you look at the numbers, if you, if you don't know the business well enough, start with the numbers is, is my general view. Um, if you look at that, they've only made a profit out of in three of the last 10 years. Um, at the same time, over the last five years or so, they've increased their share count by about 25%. Um, it's not a really pretty picture. They somehow have managed to pay a one cent dividend for the last three years, yeah, despite having a loss in each of those years, by the way. And I've got to say, as a business, I'm, I don't know why you would, if you if you run three years of losses, pay out a dividend other than to be able to say you have, um, which is worth something, I suppose. But the reality is they're also raising capital at the same time. So it's... they're kind of shoveling cash in one door and a little bit of a dribble out the other to pay dividends. I, look. You know, it, it hasn't earned a profit in the last year. I said only three of the last years has it earned a profit. I'm sure it's a great product. I'm sure it's actually helping a lot of people medically. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad these companies are around and doing their level best. They're just not investable at that, at that rate. Um, maybe there's something coming down the pike. Maybe eventually, finally, it does something great. Uh, but if you look at the financials, there's no real reason to believe this time is finally arrived. Uh, hope springs eternal, of course. And again, I'm glad it does because there are people inventing some wonderful things and, and trying desperately to come up with new solutions for, for really difficult medical problems. But as an investor, that doesn't mean you should be investing your cash in it unless you are wanting to give it away. If you're looking for a charity, maybe these guys are one you want to look at. But um, it's just not investable for mine, given the, given the state of the financials. Okay. All right. And our final stock, uh, Scott, uh, Jackie wants a view on the Centuria Office REIT. Yeah, this is a really tough one, Koshi. And this is this is kind of plays on exactly that idea of do people return to work? You know, at the moment it's eleven odd times earning, which is pretty inexpensive if it can maintain and then grow the current level of earnings. You see the massive drop off there after the the COVID news, of course, after the worst was baked into the share price. It's come back somewhat, but nowhere near what it was because investors are still not convinced that we all go back to work. Now, this mm. will be in hindsight either a great time to be out or a great time to be in because yeah. you know if we all go back to work in the three years time we say hey remember back in 2021 where we all thought things would change we all thought work from home would take off we didn't think anyone would ever go back to the office and look now they all have then this will be this will be a double between now and then and you know that's that's a really obvious upside potential if that happens if it doesn't happen i i really have no view other than i know that some big big uh tenants 
are downsizing their office space, are planning for less people in the office. Yeah. Yeah. We know plenty of kind of cool hip tech stocks are saying, well, you never have to come back to the office, guys. You can always work from home or always work remotely. Um, it really comes down to you know how likely are these to have meaningful uh, occupancy rates? If they stay real, they go back to really high levels. This is super cheap. If yeah. they don't, this could still be expensive. I'm not a I'm not prepared to put my money down on, on that binary speculation. Quite mm. honestly, I don't think you can extrapolate mm. this one. So yeah. I'd be giving it a miss. But I couldn't blame anyone for saying, you know what? I think work from home is overblown. I think people go back to the office, and when they do, investors will re-rate these stocks, and you'll make yeah. some money. Fair enough. Mark? Yeah, well, the good thing about it is it's a pure play office REIT. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it is literally uh, capital city offices, uh, towers and so on. So yeah. you it's know clear. It's not a mixture of yep. a bit of this, a bit of that. <laughs> yeah, it's one thing. Um, for me, I think Scott explained that really, really well. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be interested in it because my personal view is that I think this is a significant change in right. work habits. And who, no, who knows? I didn't think retail was going to do really well yep. during corona either. Yeah, yeah. So we, you know, no one knows with these things. But there's plenty of evidence to say that the major employers, the ones who have big office uh, buildings and towers and floors and so on, are all talking about significant productions. And, and yep. even even if it's a hybrid model, which it probably will be, where certain percentage work at home and you maybe come in two days a week, or so you still get the team stuff happening. You don't yep. need the same level of uh, same level of space. Yep. It just stagger them. Yeah, so I, I, do, I think the right. and the problem is you don't have to have a massive decrease in demand to bring the cap rates down. You right. know, if you start having ten percent you know, surplus or twenty percent. The rates will plummet, yep. and that when they plummet, the capital values plummet, yes. which means their assets plummet. Yep. Yeah, and then then you will be really glad you sold it now. Yep. But Scott's right. Okay, if that's not right, and they, and they do, everyone does go back. It's cheap. Okay. All right. Let's recap our final five <laughs> stocks: REA, a a buy from Scott, a no from Mark, News Corp, uh, a no from both, uh, Newcurus Mining, no, uh, Cyclope Farm, no, and. Uh, uh, basically, the Centuria office rate is dependent on um, return to work. Uh, and if you can see a trend going that everyone's coming back to work, it's probably cheap. If it stays the way it is, then you wouldn't be in it. Fair enough? Yeah. All right. Scott Phillips from Motley Fool. Great to see you, mate. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Had a good Mark time. Mark from Tennessee. Always great to have you on the show. Thank you. All right. Let's head out for our show today. If you've got any stocks that you'd like our expert panel to look at, uh, put them in an email to us, the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at osbiztv handle. Reminder, if you want to check the stocks in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Startup Daily Show coming up between two and three. Um, for look at companies and venture capital scale-up startups seeking capital. Uh, today, amongst their many guests, Steve Hoy from Anosi as he launches a capital raise for his energy startup that is coming up on the Startup Daily Show between two and three. So a lot happening on Ausbiz for the rest of the afternoon. You don't want to miss a minute of it. Stick around.